hello to all my lovely listeners out there. How is everyone doing? I hope that everyone is safe and well. I'm really thrilled to have today on the show another wonderful special guest. Carrie is a freelance journalist, editor and copywriter specialising in current affairs, health and women's issues. She says that she also harbours a passion for real estate, which is, of course, how we got to know each other. And she was a natural fit to come on the show. Stay tuned for Carrie's story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to get involved with all things property, finance, investment strategy, and lots more. I'm Kate Hill, the co-author of the book, The Female Investor, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property. I'm an award-winning property mentor, coach, a qualified property investment advisor and founder of buyer's agency, Advisable. Now remember everyone that this podcast is provided for general information purposes only. It does not replace your finance, tax, legal or finance product advice. You should always seek advice from licensed and trusted professionals. If you want to improve your chances of creating an income for life, this is your place to listen, be inspired and motivated. So come on, ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. Caroline, welcome to the Female Investor Podcast. I am beyond thrilled to have you on the show. I have done and talked about you a little bit in the main introduction to this podcast, but I would love all our fabulous listeners to hear a little bit from you about you and what you do. Tell us tell us all about you and welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Kate. About me, about me from a property point of view or just about me? Just about you, kind of just who you are. Start us okay. off with that. So my name is Caroline. I often get called Carrie. I am 45 and I live in Sydney and I'm originally like Kate from the UK. I moved here in 2006. I started my property journey in the UK and have continued it in Australia. There have been highs and lows and mistakes made along the way. Yes. And I am That's still why we're here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I'm still persevering. I have three daughters and I am divorced and repartnered. I say that not because it's an important label, but I suppose because it is relevant to my property journey. It is. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of me. Yeah. Mm. Tell us about your a little bit about your background, I guess, as a, if you don't mind, as a journalist and in terms of real estate, because you've written about, obviously I've read some of the other things that you've written but tell us a little bit more about your involvement in your journalism career that is real estate related. Okay, so um, I've been a journalist about 20 years. And since I've moved to Australia, I've pretty much been in news journalism. So mainstream news, the national news via AAP now, and most recently SBS, where I still am. But in recent times, I, in the last two years, I have delved into real estate as well. And I've always been interested in real estate. In fact, when I was a kid, I used to draw houses. It was one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> yeah. And my mum always thought I was going to be an architect. But I, you know, I think I decided at some point that was a bit too much work because I think yes. it was a bit too long. Way too much, many years at uni. I know. So, um, <laughs> but I've always been interested in it. And mm. I've done a bit of real estate copywriting, uh, yeah. which is essentially where you write the sales 
copy for properties. Um, but I don't do that anymore. But now I work for realestate.com.au mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis. I work, I write about commercial properties. I write about residential markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and what I do is I talk to experts. I don't see myself as one. I talk mm-hmm. to experts and then, you know, um, write interesting stories on properties that are for sale, on what's happening in the markets and trends. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting because like, you know, I think we've spoken about, you see the national psyche reflected in the property market. Yeah. You see all the, what's happening in the news is reflected in the markets. And absolutely, it's interesting. It's interesting. Mm. It's and flows. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's kind of, it's interesting. That's obviously as well for everyone out there, how we got to know each other. I was lucky enough to be one of those experts that you called and we started chatting. And then after the, I guess the formal side of our discussion ended we then continued our chat didn't we and we and it all sort of came out in terms of you as a female investor and there's there's so much to I guess to talk about on this side of things so tell us a bit about then your actual property buying what's what motivated you or what was the catalyst I guess that started you buying property, even go back, you know, as far as back in the UK, love to hear more about that. I arrived in 2006 as well. I think we did talk about that on the phone as well. (laughs) Fresh off the boat, both of us in the same year. But talk us through a little bit about your background in terms of actually buying property and investing property and what the catalyst for that was. Yeah, um, I had a really fortunate start in property um, back in 2002, when I was 25, when some great aunties of mine died. Mm. And they left me and my, um, I have an identical twin sister, Claire. They left us £30,000, I think it was, in their will, which we was had no idea about. Mm-hmm. They had no partners or children ever. There was sort of a, a group of ladies. These were my, my Nana's sisters. There was yeah. quite a few of them. I think even 10 or 12 of them. I'm not even sure because some died before I was born. I think yeah. men died in the war. Anyway, there was a group of women who never partnered, never had children. Mm. And they died at a similar time and, and along the way they left Claire and I 30,000 pounds and they said this has to go into property so that was wow. such a gift wow so even those ladies knew the importance of it right they knew they did yeah, yeah isn't that extraordinary? So, this was, so this was Claire and I were renting in London we were you know mid-20s mm. so we were like okay what do we do so we decided to club together and borrow as much as we could actually yeah. borrow. Yeah. And we weren't on very high salaries at that point. We were just at the beginning of our careers. Mm-hmm. So I think back then you could borrow in England about three times your salary. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can't even remember what our salaries were at the time, but they were really nothing very special. But we basically borrowed to the max and then put use as 30000 as a deposit. And what that afforded us was a one-bedroom flat in East London. And we really wanted to go to East London because we knew that it was tip for growth and Mm. it was an area that was really gentrifying. So it was sort of a no-brainer that that was our area. Mm. And we looked at sort of a few suburbs around East London. Yeah. When I say East London, I'm talking about quite central. I'm thinking like Mile End, Shoreditch, Bethnal Green. I don't know if you know that part of the world. But so quite central. Anyway, we found a great attic flat, one bedroom place, little place, lots of character Mm. um, in a Georgian terrace. And we bought it, I think, for around £150,000 in 2002. And we held on to it for quite a long time, Claire and I. She actually lived in it for a while with her partner. I Mm. never lived there, but I got to crash there quite a few times. (laughs) And at some point it was rented out to tenants when Claire and I weren't living in London. 
And we held on to that until hmm, until about 2015, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. Good, yeah. Good old couple of cycles, maybe. Yeah. Which after was, the Olympics. After the Olympics. Yeah, that was a great success mm. story. And um, because obviously with the Olympics came a lot of improvement to the infrastructure in mm, that part of London absolutely. and it went a long way. So that was great. A, a, a downside to that selling, which was a massive, oh, a mistake in hindsight, but I did the best thing I could at the time, is I sold it just before I got divorced. <laughs> so my yeah. my walked away with half of well, the sale, which mm. still bugs me now. It was like a parking fine. Just think of a parking fine max right up to the extreme. Mm. Anyway, so that was my first experience of property investing, which was, I would say, a really successful one. I feel like yeah. we chose in the, an area that was, you know, really tipped for growth. Coming and that's right. Yes, yes. Um, great. Yeah. Mm. I moved to Australia while you know, I own that property in mm. 2006. And the next move in property for me was my partner, um, now my ex-husband, I moved into his place in Sydney, yes. in on the North Shore. And um, we, um, I wasn't really that happy on the North Shore up there at the time. It was sort mm. of high school age families. And I wanted to be more in the inner West, which was sort of a bit more of a younger demographic. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up selling his property in on the North Shore and buying mm. a property in Leichhardt in the Inner West. Oh yeah, yeah. That would have been in that would have been around two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. I would say. So we used some of the proceeds from his property to buy that. It was a lovely three-bedroom weatherboard mm-hmm. in Leichhardt. Mm-hmm. Cute little place. Yeah, very typical that area yeah yeah Yeah. and we had all our three babies in that house Mm. so I have lovely memories of that house we sold that place in around 2015 Mm. 2014 2014 yep and decided we wanted to move to the northern beaches we wanted to be closer to the beach so we did pretty well on that place Mm. and then we bought our next sort of family home which was a size up in French's Forest, actually. Yes. Was the house I would say that we decided we were going to stay in. So your forever home sort of thing. Yeah. It was. And I imagined Mm. my kids coming back. I imagine they would grow up there, they would move out there, and then they would bring their friends and their future partners back Mm, there. mm. And they that's the place where we would have barbecues and yes and babysit their children. Yes, that's right. The family, yes, the seat of the empire. That's right. Yeah, that's what I imagined for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, As it turned out, we only stayed there for less than two years because Mm. my husband and I separated and got divorced and we put the house on the market. Mm. And just before this time, completely irrespective of this, and it wasn't related, Claire and I decided to sell the London flat. Yes. Um, I think I'm yeah. trying to remember what the drivers were now. I think she may have been driving it. I think she wanted to free up some money oh, she, um, yeah. to yeah. buy a property with her husband. Mm. I'm pretty sure that was what happened. It seems like a long time ago now. So I think she came to me and said, I would like to sort of buy it now. I would like to free up that money for me to mm. then move on with mm. her, dad, her husband, Dan. And I remember thinking, yeah, sure, like we've done really well on this, happy to cash in Mm -hmm. and I can Mm -hmm. put the money into my place in Australia. Mm -hmm. So I remember it being, you know, we agreed that it was a good time. So in hindsight, I wish I hadn't have done that because it was, you know, thrown into the asset pool when I got divorced. And if I'd held onto it for another year, that would have been my money. But Mm. my ex- I I know, hindsight, that 20 vision we all have in hindsight, right? Yeah. So anyway, 
as it turned out, I mean, this was me as I turned 40. So about five years ago, I had no property at all. So Mm -hmm. after going along this property journey and feeling like I was going really well at 40 with with not being completely um, off the property ladder again. But cash, there was some cash, obviously. Yes. Yes. But I had a settlement. Um, yeah. I had yeah. money in the bank. So, mm. and I knew without question that I wanted to get back into the market as soon as mm. I could. So that was a really interesting question of what to do then, because I feel like for the first time in my life, it was my sole decision. Yeah. You know, I'd, I mm. bought a property with my sister. I bought a yes, property that's right. with my husband twice. And this was the fourth experience of property buying for me mm. and I, it was completely my decision and I had mm. no idea where to start mm. um, and what I did know is that I couldn't afford to buy a home for me and my three daughters in Sydney it was just I knew that the market had mm. I, on my own it was impossible so I happened to be in Tasmania on a work trip one I was used to be a travel writer actually so I was in Tasmania on a work trip and I just happened to read a Good Weekend article. This would have been back in 2016, I think, mm-hmm. maybe, 2017. And I read a Good Weekend article about the Apple Isle and how it, the housing market was set to boom. Mm-hmm. It was already starting to. Yeah. And there was, was a big yeah. housing shortage, particularly yeah. in Hobart, with lots of mainlanders moving down there, finding you know yeah. cheaper housing. And mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm quite a fatalist, I suppose. And I just thought, this is such a great idea. Why not? Going mm. back Hobart as a, you know, back that horse. It's as good a place as any because I can afford it. And so I did a bit of research and the stats sort of just backed it up, you know. There was good rental yield, there was good, you know, the, the house prices were going up. And there was also a bit of a housing shortage in Hobart, so there was low vacancy rates. Mm. It wasn't going to be hard to rent a property out there if it was a decent one. So, yeah, I just decided to go with it. Yeah, so on the finance side, I did see a broker and it was actually a really depressing experience because Mm. I was renting, you know, as cheaply as I could in the part of Sydney I wanted to be in, but it was still a lot. And there's four of you, right? There's four of you, yeah. Yeah, there was me and my three daughters. I was working part-time in a a permanent part-time job and I was freelancing, writing on the side but mm. it, I wasn't bringing in a huge income. And no, and then you've got that large out, and then the large outgoing of the rent, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was a single mm. parent. I wasn't able to borrow mm. very much. Mm. So I sort of thought, oh, you know what? I don't actually need to borrow. I can actually buy a property outright. Not a big property, but I can buy one outright. So that's what, and also I think I spoke to you about this, Kate, before. It was, I was feeling very financially vulnerable at that time. Mm. Having just separated from my husband. He was the main earner. So, and he also left me with the girls. I mean, he had them every other weekend, but I was pretty much bringing up these three kids by yeah. myself. Yeah. So I was feeling very financially vulnerable at that time and also feeling unsure and unconfident about my financial mm-hmm. move. So I decided, you know, I just felt too nervous, honestly, about taking on a mortgage on my own. I, not, I couldn't take a big one on anyway, but I just yeah. felt nervous I, I didn't want to overextend myself so I decided I'm going to stick well within my comfort zone mm. and buy outright because then I have no debt so that's what I decided to do I mean I looking back that was perhaps another property mistake that I made because for tax reasons for you know capital growth reasons it probably would have been a better idea for me to take out a mortgage on a property perhaps buy two small properties or take out a mortgage and buy somewhere a bit bigger but that was all emotionally I could 
manage at the time. And again, I think we really need to acknowledge that you, we all do, we try and do what's right for us at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you and I can sit here several years later and go, well, you know, maybe, you know, if we did, we would have done some cash flows and da 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 and looked at the actual risk, you know, the actual monetize the risk, you know, and look at the vacancy rates and know that you're always, you're pretty much always going to be tenanted there, right? So the, the chances of you not being able to cover a a relatively small mortgage would have been very minimal and you know even if you are vacant you know and done some kind of cash flow modeling it's it's you know we can sit here and say that now but at the time I think it's really important to acknowledge you were feeling vulnerable and dare I you know say sort of not quite freshly divorced but you know that that sort of stuff is still raw and I think you know you did what was what you felt was right at the time we've all done that love right yeah, it was yeah. all I thought I could yeah. manage. And also, I have to say, my knowledge yeah. of the real estate markets is much better now than it was back then. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. Wasn't, I wasn't writing about real estate back then. And, and mm. you know, delving mm. into it through my work as much as I do now, I, I feel yeah. much more confident in yes. those decisions now. Yes. So, yeah, that was my decision. I, I do back my decisions. I tend to be quite impulsive with decisions. I back them. Absolutely. I go for it. And I've got to say, but you and you did, but you did actually take action, which I yeah. also think is awesome. You didn't just cut, you weren't paralyzed by fear. You did, mm. you know, you did do something with your money and, you know, wasn't a, you know, okay, perhaps you could have allocated cash differently and done this differently. But at the end of the day, the asset has performed well. Yeah. So <laughs> I have mm. to tell you a little bit about the property hunt. It was, yes. <laughs> yeah. It was an expensive property hunt. Yeah. I knew that I wanted to see the property in person. I didn't want to buy anything off the net, the net you know. So yes. I did decide to, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to spend at least two or three Saturdays at least. I'm going to get down to Hobart. I'm going to hire a car mm. and I'm going to, you know, visit some properties. And I knew this was going to be a very expensive house hunt, but I sort mm. of, in my head, lumped it into the property purchase price. Yeah. Finding the right place. Yeah. So amazingly enough, I found the right place on my second Saturday of looking. Mm. And like I said, I'm quite impulsive in my decisions. I backed my gut and I went. Mm. So the place that I ended up buying in Hobart was pretty run down. It was a three-bedroom property. House. House, yes. Three-bedroom house, Mm. freestanding house in a suburb called Mornington, which is on the eastern shore. So east of the Derwent River, mm. it's, I would say it's a gentrifying area. It's only 10 minutes drive from the CBD. So it's very central. Yeah. And it's an area that's really up and coming. And I, the stats really back that up, um, had good schools in the area as well. So I found a property that was, I wanted somewhere that had need, would need a little bit of work, but not too much. Mm. So I wanted somewhere where I could add a bit of value, but that it wasn't going to be too much for me. Mm. And I didn't need to do the work immediately. Yeah. I sort of save up some cash. Yes. Tenants yeah. could move in, but you can do something a bit further down the track. But it was ready. Exactly. It was livable, as they say. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. I just found the right place. And I just knew when I found it that it was the right place. Um, yeah. yeah, it had. And as funny thing about the Hobart or Tasmania market in general, as properties are often sold with tenants, you know, they mm. come with tenants, which you don't really see on the mainland. So this property had a tenant locked in for another two years Mm. on a a sort of locked in lease. And the the rent she was paying was well below market rate. So the thing about that for me was that was scaring off a lot of buyers. That was scaring off investors who didn't want a tenant 
locked into paying low rent. And it was scaring mm. off, you know, prospective um, owner-occupiers who didn't want a tenant in there. So it freed up a bit of mm. competition for me. And it didn't really bother me that much because I was all about stability at that point. I just wanted a tenant that was locked in. That was really appealing to me. And I thought, you know what, if yeah. she's paying below the yeah. rate for a couple of years, yeah. it's not the end of the world. No. You know? And again, uh, indicative yeah. of, again, what you needed at the time. It's like, you know, when somebody yeah. fixes, fixes in a certain interest rate, you know, and then mm. interest rates start going down, which is exactly what happened to yours truly several years ago. Mm-hmm. But at, but at the time, you know, you want that stability. You need to know what's coming in or going out. Again, acknowledge that that is what you needed at the time. Absolutely. Yes. It really yeah. was. Yeah. And, um, and it did you a favour in the long run because it put mm-hmm. off a lot of the competition. It really did. Yeah. It, was, it all just worked. And I was like, mm. I'm going to go for it. And mm. I don't think I even had a competitor, to be honest. Yes. And they loved the fact I was a cash buyer as well. So I bet they did. Really, yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't think they come around too often these days. Mm. So, yeah, it was, I have to tell you the price. I don't care about this stuff. It was 342000 Yeah. Um, which is yeah. very, very cheap when you look at the Australian housing market. I would say, I don't know what the property would be worth now. It would be over, I'm, I reckon between 500 and 550, I'm guessing. Mm. I have since renovated it, renovated it during COVID, remote from, from Sydney. I just yeah. got an incredible yeah. project manager, which I took months to find, literally mm. I had to be able to trust him. And I got lots of references and went down to Hobart to meet him mm. before COVID as luck would have it and left it in his hands and just spoke to him regularly but he did the most incredible job I was down there with yeah. my sister Claire in March this year to see the final yeah result. it was brilliant so yes um I, I have renovated it since then so that's added some value and I have a new tenant in there who is paying the market rate now which is also wonderful so mm. that's been a fantastic you know experience mm. in investment property it wasn't perhaps the best way to go about it but the location and the renovation have both been brilliant and I feel confident I've, I've bought in that the right suburb yes. and the right market yes yes, yes. Um, which, is, which is fabulous love and really you know it's not obviously it's it's nobody's place to sit in judgment of what you did because at the end of the day you took action you were mindful of your circumstances you you weren't frivolous you know again not 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 that that's for me to judge but you know, I guess my my only comment on that is, you know, getting a little bit of professional help, you know, in terms of checking property type, you know, I would always advise, if you know what I mean. It's like, you know, and not leave that to, I guess, luck, if you know what I mean, or just not that I'm suggesting that's what you did. <laughs> but, you know, for anyone out there kind of listening is to, you know, really do, do your research on, you know, what property type is in demand in areas for the people that live there, right? Not for, you know, you personally. Again, I'm not saying that's what you did, but just as a very general, you know, little tip there for everyone. Kate's handy hints. Yes. Anyway, go on. So it's renovated, it's tenanted. Yeah. And now it's just passive income, which <laughs> yeah. is wonderful. Yes. Um, but yeah. um, yes. I've since, which I was saying to you before we started recording, I've since made a decision very recently to buy mm-hmm. an investment property, which feels like the right time. And in fact, Kate, our conversation mm. went uh, a few weeks ago, you know, also nudged me a little bit in this direction. In fact, I was because I've been thinking that it's mm. living in Sydney, particularly. I know markets vary a lot around the country, but mm. it's a tough time to be selling right now. But it's a pretty nice time to be buying. 
And I'm in a different situation in my life than I was back in 2017 when I purchased Hobart. I'm repartnered and in a really stable relationship. My partner, Michael, and I have sort of, we feel very long term. We're very settled, certainly planning our future together. And I feel like now is a time where we can actually think about buying a property together. It will be a first property for him. But what we're going to do is pull our earning. You're borrowing borrowing power? Yeah. Boring power and free up some equity um, mm. from Hobart mm. and use that as our deposit. Yes. Which feels to me like correcting a wrong from the past because, yes. <laughs> you know, buying it outright, which wasn't the best decision, I can now, it feels like correcting that decision to be freeing up equity now and then yes. using it for something else. Yeah. Yeah. And look, and really the only reason, you know, I'm no financial advisor, I'm disclaiming that right now, everyone out there, but really the only you know, if we, and I hate to call it a mistake because I think what you did was amazing, which is why we are talking to you today. But the only mistake, for want of a better word, or something that you could have done differently, again, is to not use all that cash for that property because now, you know, you you need that cash to buy your owner-occupied property and the loan on that is not tax deductible, right? So that's where we need those loans to be as small as possible, Whereas the investment loan is something that is tax deductible. So it's, it really, it comes, but who can foresee, you know, the future, you know, you sort of think, well, that again, that was your decision at the time, love, right? It's hard to make decisions where you're hedging your bets in case something, you know, or what scenario is going to happen in my future, right? So there's only so many things that you can do, like I say, to hedge your bets against something like, you know, finding a new partner or something else happening or you know how do you preserve cash and again I do maintain you did the right thing for you at the time right and yeah. just tell everyone what, what rent you're getting can you remember and in, in that property at the moment at the moment oh about you 500 just, a week 500 a week yeah on a 342 thousand dollar property right that's quite the yield if I can just say that yeah out there right that's a great return on that investment that you made yeah right lovely passive income Um, yeah exactly I think that's the ultimate aim with investment property ideally absolutely Um, yes I mean uh, coming back to where I am now I mean I'm still not in a position to buy a family home in Sydney Mm. I could buy a property in Sydney but not for five of us Um, Mm. my partner moved in with us during COVID so we're now a five in this household and That is, I mean, look, we could we could actually do it. We could actually do it in a cheaper part of Sydney, mm. but not where we want to live. Really? So, um, which is the Northern Beaches. So we have decided to, I think we've decided to buy in Northern Adelaide, which was mm-hmm. also somewhere Kate you suggested was a good was a good place to be looking at. And I've spoken to other sort of investment mm. experts and buyers agents as well that have sort of pinpointed that part of the country lots of investment in you know going into infrastructure there and 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 various other things so that, yes and good yeah. mm. so that's our plan at the moment we're in the process of getting our financials mm. together but I think where I am now in my life I really see the benefit of rent vesting you know living where you want to live mm. and buying where that you're going to get a good return right. I mean yeah. my my kids are sort of older primary school lower high school age so mm. it's it's pretty hard for us to make a big move at the moment. They're mm. very settled mm. in their lives. 
we're very settled in this community here. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, but again, you're making yeah. decisions based on your circumstances right now, right? But you're doing something yeah. with your money. You're buying another investment property. You're getting uh, over seven and a half percent yield on your. I've just worked it out while you were chatting <laughs> on that Hobart property, which is amazing. You're going. You're not going to get that yield anywhere putting your money in the bank, right? And a consistent and an income that counts from a borrowing capacity point of view as well, right? So, but you are going to reinvest money you're doing what works for you guys as a family and for your life for the next few years I think it's awesome yeah thank you yeah I mean it feels like the right thing we can't we don't want to leave this area we're committed to staying here while the kids are at school yeah we want to park our money I mean look Mm. if we had all the cash in the world I would love to buy property here it's Mm. um, certainly a growth area and I you know I would love the idea of living in my own home but you know I think you work with what you've got and I feel like with what we do have that is the right decision. Um, mm. I feel very fortunate that we can afford to buy another investment property in another high growth area and really excited about that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I'd say, were obviously you've talked to us a little bit about the actual experiences of owning the Hobart property and you've renovated. You have a property manager down there who manages? No, I don't actually. You manage um, yourself? And manage it myself. I, mm-hmm. I did pay um, an agent to find me a tenant. Yes. And do all the interviews and yeah. we'll show people around yeah. and mm-hmm. also do the, oh, the, what's the word to escape me now? The inventory, you know. of Oh, yes. The um, entry condition report and all, all that kind of that. thing. And yes. to draw up the lease for me and all of yes. that. And she managed, you know. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I went to the agent to sign the lease. So yes. all of that was done, um, which doesn't cost very much at all to have all that no. done. No. And then um, I think it's a couple of weeks rent you pay them to get Yes, no, and it's well worth it just to have, you you know, again, it's that security of just having those that proper documentation in place and having the move in and out process properly documented. It's crucial. Yeah. Exactly. And so they found me a brilliant Mm. tenant. And um, my tenant is actually very similar to me in a sense that she's a single mum of three daughters. Yeah, yeah. And I actually chose her because she was a single mum partly because... Mm. I feel like single mums have such stigma against them when they're trying to get homes. Even so, begin to agree with you more. <laughs> yeah. And I know I had that a little bit when I was trying mm. to, when I first moved out with my three girls after separating, I found that there was a lot of stigma against me as a single mum. And even though I'd been a professional woman for, for years, I was turned down a few times yeah. just because yeah. I was a single parent, a single mum. Mm. And so mm. I was determined to kind of try and write a small wrong yeah. and go with Danielle, who is brilliant, you know. Yeah. And we just text on what needs to be dealt with. And and we have a good relationship. I I met her when I was down in Hobart um, a few months ago. And, Mm. yeah, it's a great relationship. It's going well. And I think that's Mm. one benefit of a private arrangement with your tenant is you do kind of have, if you can develop a good relationship with them, I mean, we're not in touch very often. I mean, it Mm. could go weeks. I mean, that's ideal. There's no problems to sort out. But I think there's more loyalty to you as a landlord when they know who you are. And you want to take better care of them when you know who they are, mm. rather than being a nameless person that you deal with through a real estate agent, mm. where you kind of go on at the real estate agent do that. I mean, if there's a leak in her ceiling and it's going through the real estate agent, they'll probably ignore it for if it's over the weekend to get back to it on Monday. She won't know what to do. She'll be fed up. I won't have the care because I don't even know who this person is and I haven't been told about it. Whereas at the moment, she'll call me and say, oh, I've got the problem with my leak. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, let me get it sorted for you ASAP. I feel like it just works better. Mm, mm. Yeah, 
yeah so, again enough yeah no right that it, it works for you right so yeah I I guess I have you've kind of already indicated this really but overall I are you glad you did it oh so glad <laughs> yes I mean I, yeah. you know not being able to afford where I live in Sydney deciding to rent in a high growth market elsewhere was, has been the best decision for me and it's one mm-hmm. that I'm about to do again mm-hmm. yes I mean you know looking further into the future and like I said in London we chose a high growth area and that was fantastic mm-hmm. as well so it's really been pinpointing those places that are going to bring in growth over over the long term Mm -hmm. and yeah looking into the future I mean who knows I mean I think you said to me Kate you know you don't really sell an investment property unless you're looking to buy your own you know you hold on to them and that's sort of the plan I mean Michael and I in the future we might decide to sell up Hobart or Mm -hmm. or the next Mm -hmm. place to Mm -hmm. buy a property for us one day Mm -hmm. or we might hold on to them Mm -hmm. and buy our own if we can afford to do that but it's, it's great to know that we're Mm. in the market and we're sort of we're enjoying that capital growth to an extent and yes um even if we can't buy our own home yes so in terms of our female investor topic I think to me you are a shining light (laughs) you're a shining example of what we you know what we've been setting out to encourage all women to do you know to to start looking at structuring a financial future to put these plans in place. It's kind of an obvious question, but would you agree? I hope you agree. I'm hoping you're going to say yes, uh, that that's important for, lady, for ladies oh, to do. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know what I tell my girls, um, even though they're still quite mm. young, which I firmly believe is a man is not a financial plan. And, you know, mm. we don't know what is around the corner. It's all about being financially self-sufficient that's Mm. what I try and tell them is important and yeah we just don't know what's around the corner and also the satisfaction from being able to manage your own finances yeah be in charge of your own wealth creation and your own future I think is important for women you know all all women today yeah absolutely just that sense of I hate this word Um, here we go empowerment peace of mind it's true isn't it it's true I can't think yeah I'm I'm, I must look up a thesaurus and find a better way to say it because it irritates me when I hear it but here I there there I go I want to come back to those amazing aunties of yours who left you money with the express instruction (laughs) to purchase property I just it keeps I keep I can't get past that I think that is phenomenal that they you know that generation saw the benefit and sort of almost insisted that you, you know, that you go down that path with that, that money that you inherited. And I, we talked a little bit about this last time as well, the importance of the discussion around money and finances and financial planning and financial futures with, you know, children or just with your friends around the dinner table you know, what can I ask? Was were you was that part of the conversation when you grew up? I was quite lucky it was with me, and um, which I can, you know, explain in a minute. But did you was that your experience when you were growing up? No, not hugely. Mm. Um, I don't feel like my parents discussed finances a lot mm. at all. And I wish they had done in a way. And in fact, mm. I've since, particularly with my mum, my parents are separated now, they have been for a very long time, and I have a very close relationship. With, with my mum particularly and we are now actually very open about finances yeah 
we have, you know, both grown older, which I find really refreshing and really yes. useful, actually. Yes. Um, she's in a very different situation to, to me to, for lots of reasons, but it's still really good to be able to openly talk about it. I wish we had done more so perhaps. Mm. I think perhaps mm. my dad was more traditional and more closed and more private with that stuff. Yes. Um, and I think he probably still is. But mm. I think, you know, obviously back then, most people did more comfortably own their own homes. So I, I certainly grew up thinking that that was what I was going to do. But I don't think I really gave it a lot of thought. To be mm, honest yeah. Probably one of the reasons those aunties mandated that we buy property with that money is because they probably thought Claire and I would just go off traveling. Um, <laughs> yes. Don't, 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 you know, blow it on. Uh, yes. Plane tickets and don't, don't spend it fri- frivolously. Mm. Yeah, so, but, but yeah. No, I, I certainly think that, you know, I know a lot of people believe that finances and investing should be taught in schools and um, and it and it's it's not and it really should be because it's so important and I think the amount of people and I include myself in this who have a lack of knowledge on something that's so Mm -hmm. important yeah is a real shame it is it is and 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 I come across obviously I come across this a lot in you know the various I guess types of clients that I have as a buyer's agent but just you know my daily life I was I was lucky enough to be um I was my parents separated when I was 10 so and I lived with my mum so you know growing up from from 10 onwards had a single mum uh one parent family and she was very open about she you know things that she discussed with me very openly almost as an adult you know adult to adult she would tell me about you know what she was doing buying the flat that we were living in which was a council flat to start with and then she was gonna you know she was buying it and uh, the ices and you know also savings accounts and all sorts of things that she was doing I was very much included in those conversations and I will be forever grateful for that because I think the more I think about it as I've grown up gone, yeah, you know, I think that really did instill in me an awareness, you know, even if I didn't actually act on it until I was in my early forties, but because I was at uni and doing other things, had other priorities, mm-hmm. but it did instill in me this awareness. You've got to do this stuff. You need, you need to look out for that, that financial security. Don't rely on the government. You need to do something you know, and I, I will be forever grateful f- for that. And I do always try and encourage the conversations when my friends, you know, that we talk about this stuff. There's a, I have a lot of single female friends, you know, and not just the single females, the single fellas too. We talk about that too, but it seems to be, I don't want it to be a taboo subject. You know, I want us to be able to talk about, freely talk about, well, this is what I'm doing what are you, you know, are you okay? What are, what are you, not not to make anyone feel inadequate, of course. And perhaps sometimes that's what the reluctance is. I'm not sure, you know, for, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. I do actually try and talk mm. to my daughters pretty openly. About yeah, them. yes, um, yeah. Sometimes I'll say, so mum, how much do you, how much money are you going to get for this story that you're writing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. tell them, I just say, yes. well, this one is this. And, mm. you know, mm. this day pays this. And they're like, oh, mm. okay. And sometimes they'll be like, mum, you know, can we go away for the weekend? And I'm like, oh, we've just come back from a holiday. I haven't got much yeah. money. Check out my bank account. They're looking so good, hey? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty open with them that it's, you yes. know, you know I, I've spoken to them about Hobart and about the the, the, the next property we're looking to get. And, yes. You know, how we, you know, like it's, I'm you trying to, you know. Mm. But, I mean, certainly um, we've spoken before about how, 
you know, with my friends, I have to say, we don't talk about it that much. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've got sort of some friends that I will talk to openly about money and property, mm-hmm. like my sister, for mm-hmm. example. But most people, I, yeah, a lot of my friends in Sydney, it would almost seem quite taboo to be talking finance. I agree. Yeah, agree. Um, I, I mean, I've yes. always thought that within your industry, people are very open about salaries I know that with my writer friends we will speak very openly about salaries yeah, yeah. you know because it's all about sort of transparency but mm-hmm. when you're talking to people in other industries I feel like it's a little bit more taboo and it's, I suppose the, it's it's the boundary is you want to be informed but you don't want to be nosy so no, that's it's right good, it's, good, it's good to ask questions if it's... <laughs> well I do sorry I do want to be nosy <laughs> but it's for everyone else is good right <laughs> yeah that's right I mean, it's good to ask questions, I think, on strategy. Find out what yes. people are doing. I think that's great. And I'm always happy to talk. Yes. yes. Um, and I'm yeah. always usually happy to share figures and financials because Agreed. I'm not really precious about this stuff. Yeah, me too. Um, because mm. it ultimately, everyone's on the, their own journey, you know. Like, there's going to be people, yes. there's always going to be people who are better off than you, worse off than you, and, and we're all just doing the best we can. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I wish we people more more were, were, were more open about it because mm. I think that would be helpful to all of us. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yes. And then it's less, it's, it's perhaps also perceived to be less onerous. It's perceived to be more achievable. You know, it's not this, this great thing out there. Oh, I have to invest or I should be more doing more investing or I should be doing this and should, but actually makes it seem more achievable. If that, does that make sense? You know, because you're talking about it more. And I guess I'm in a in a position because of what I do for a living as a as a property investment advisor, as a buyer's agent, that I do have people sort of one on one. They tend to share with me what they're doing, you know, financially. But in a group, it's it's a slightly different, slightly different environment. But I'm going to I'm going to instigate a conversation. I said to you earlier, right? I've got a group of, of girl friends coming over and I am going to do a little survey and I'm going to open up the conversation around this sort of thing and just see how they feel about discussing this and um, because I think it's important yeah no absolutely yeah yeah uh, yes yeah so, so Caroline love have you any little words of encouragement <laughs> little motivational points for any of our listeners out there who may be in that situation that you found yourself in a few years ago where you were feeling financially a bit vulnerable but but did it anyway right you somehow you just you forged your path ahead oh I don't know if I've got any words of mm. much. I think I think what probably holds a lot of people back with property buying and investing is confidence Kate mm. and I would say don't let confidence hold you back because you can always learn what you don't know and you can always do your research mm. and there's so much financial advice out there yeah when it comes to listening to podcasts like this or just looking up Mm. stats or or talking to experts and you can financially educate yourself and if you can't I mean I and I would also just say about not dismissing the idea of rent vesting because I think if you can't afford to live Mm. Mm. I do it too I do it too love yeah yeah if you can't afford Mm. to live where you live or for whatever Mm. reason you want to stay in an area you know and it's not right for you to buy property there it doesn't mean you should be out of the property market. You know, there's mm. you know, what you can afford and there can be, and look at where property is really on, property prices on the rise and mm. you can still be in the market and still be gaining capital growth, yeah. even if you're renting where you are. Um, and you shouldn't let that hold you mm. back. Yeah. Um, 
don't let sort of nerves paralyze any moves forward. I think mm. you've got to back yourself and back your decisions. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes. I would say that's what I've You're done. Here. Back yourself yeah, and back along the way. I'm I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our mantra for the week, back yourself and back your decisions. Don't let fear hold you back. It's awesome. Be slightly fearful because, you know, there are some spookers and sharks out there, but, you know, <laughs> don't let it hold you back. Caroline, thank you so much for your time. I can't even begin to tell you how grateful we are for your, your sharing, your openness, you know, sharing all these details with you, your life. And um, we, we're going to have you back so we can talk about this Adelaide purchase. <laughs> we want to no, hear all about to do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it will happen. Yeah. yeah. So thank time. you so much, love. And we will talk to you again really soon. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye, love. Bye. Bye. And that's it for this episode. You can email any questions and comments that you have on info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. Don't forget to grab a copy of your book, The Female Investor. You can go to your local bookstore, go to Amazon, Booktopia, or anywhere that good books are sold. Head to the website at thefemaleinvestor.com.au, where you'll find lots of resources on property, news, tips, and videos. Stay safe and well, everyone. I'll talk to you all again soon and bye for now.